Okay, welcome to the first episode of the HMA podcast. Uh, for this first episode, we are going to be talking about uh, succession planning, uh, but we're also going to provide uh, some context into how we, were, we arrived uh, to where we are today. So uh, on this episode, I'm going to be your moderator, Chapin Maurer, uh, and Grove Maurer and Lorraine Hutchinson are going to be your co-hosts. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to introduce Grove. And uh, yeah, Grove, you can take it away. Thank you, Chapin. And thank you, Lorraine. This is exciting, our first podcast. Um, I wanted to just give a little bit of background um, my background, and then hand it over to Lorraine, and then we were going to uh, talk about, give some context about HMA. Um, I started on Wall Street um, 42 years ago. I, I, wow. I can't quite believe it. As a broker's broker, then a trader in New York, and then moved out here to Chicago um, and works with some of the local firms before uh, joining um, Wayne Hummer and Philip Hummer, and uh, was with Wayne Hummer for uh, almost 25 years before uh, Philip and I and the team broke away to start HMA. And, but while at Wayne Hummer, I had the pleasure of working with Lorraine. So I'll pass the ball to her. Well, thank you. I never thought I'd be uh, recording a podcast. I feel like I might be getting cool. Uh, maybe the kids will think I'm cool now. <laughs> um, I started at Wayne Hummer in 1995 after moving from Ireland. I was 12 years old. Um, <laughs> child labor laws were a lot <laughs> easier on us in the 90s. No, I was 22 straight off the boat, and I've been in the industry now 28 years. So um, started working with uh, my former partner, now retired, Richard Kosarek. And he took me under his wing and taught me the ropes. And during that tenure, I met Grove. And we've been fast friends ever since. Yeah, no, we've been working together for quite some time because at the old Wayne Hummer, we sort of had a super group, yep. which was fun. And it was really the precursor uh, to starting this firm. Um, Philip and David Cox and Ryan and I, um, and Becky and Chapin, uh, decided to pull the plug and, and, and start the firm. We had our eyes on Lorraine and Kelly, but thought it was best to uh, move over, start the firm, get everything hooked up, and then bring them over. I appreciate you doing all that hard work so I could just waltz in here, you know, a few years later and act like I owned the place. Yeah, well, you know, everybody likes to have a husband like yes, that. Yes, that's... <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right, well, before we get into the weeds about HMA, um, I'm just curious... Um, when you guys started out at Wayne Hummer, what was the day-to-day -day like, and how is it different from kind of what we do now? I'll let Lorraine go first. Well, I had an there. abacus. No, um, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, you know, it, sometimes you look back at that and think, did that really happen? Is that real? Like, everything was much more manual. Um, we wrote our trading tickets and walked Did you even have email back in the day? or We uh, had green memos. Okay. Um, so we, we typed up green memos to each department, and you'd drop them into a file bin. We were self-clearing, so there was a lot of manual. Uh, I, was, I actually started in stock receipts, where people would drop off physical stock certificates when they would sell their stock, and then it you know, morphed into book entry after a few years. But So yes, it was like it was the dark ages to some extent. Manual trade tickets, walking up to the order desk, called you know, calling in trades, that kind of thing. But um, very transaction heavy, 
uh, like trades and tickets were the lifeblood of the business. And um, coming into the late 90s, it was my working with Richard, we did a lot of options. So we were very, very busy on a on a call with a call holding all day long because it was a trading world at that time. And then when the tech bubble burst, we it was crickets. You know, there was no, the phones weren't ringing, nothing was happening. And we realized Richard really saw the need and what was coming next was planning and encouraged me to get my CFP. And we then became more of a advisory team as opposed to a trading team. And you got your CFP in 2006? Yes, yeah. So I did uh, the course for the CFP while having three children. So that was really fun, and I was delightful to be around during that time. (laughs) 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 But yeah, so a little ahead of the game on the CFP. Um, At the time, uh, I had it and one other... um, team member, um, a good friend of mine, Lisa, got it around the same time. And it was very new. You know, it was not the done thing. And now, obviously, it's almost a necessity. Yeah. Yeah, I think when I joined Philip, it was just when the business was shifting. And uh, what year was brokerage. that? Uh, this would have been um, 01, uh, 2001. Uh, even a little bit before that, when I started Winhammer in 1998. But the business was really shifting from transaction-oriented, the brokerage model, yeah. to more advisory. And Philip uh, saw this, and he had our bigger clients managed you know, by portfolio managers. And at the time, I was working uh, in the institutional area of Wayne Hummer Asset Management, and I recognized that. And Philip and I decided that that was really you know, the way to go. Um, and it made a lot more sense. We wanted to move away from any conflict of interest. Um, but also, it was just better, you know, for the clients. But I, I could also see down the road that the financial planning was going to be more yes. and more important, and this more, you know, holistic approach. And um, you know, that's why I was very fortunate, uh, you know, uh, to find Ryan, who was in the training program. Right. Yes. Yeah. And he was right out of college and went right into the CFP program. So, with a with a group of young people at the time, yeah. all willing to do it right away, it was. You know, they were used to studying. They were fresh out of college, and they they banged it out in just a couple of years. And thank God, because I was really way too old. And the bit, you know, but we could all see the business was changing yeah. and where it was going. And um, you know why, you know, we really started investing in younger talent. But also at that point, we saw that the model that we were in um, with a bank at that point, uh, Wintrust had. Uh, partnered with Wayne Hummer, we realized we were not in the right model right. Um, because we were at a bank and there were, the emphasis for the bank was not the same emphasis that we wanted to put place with our clients. Right. So right. on that uh, topic, can you give me, so when you say a conflict of interest uh, versus the brokerage model to the advisory, are there any examples of what that means? What does that mean oh, exactly? Yeah, yeah, yeah so, um, well, cost is a big a big part of it. So we always ran our our book as though we were fiduciaries. We always felt that we put our clients' best interest ahead of ours, which is now, you know, that battle cry of all of the regulation is is fiduciary standards. But you could see how if there was a product, for example, a mutual fund or an annuity or something that paid a higher commission, that the, you could see how you might choose that product because it was better for you as an as a broker 
Um, and we did uh, have to continue to prove that that was not why you would pick one product over another. But when you were paid commissions and they weren't level, so like one mutual fund might have a higher upfront load than another, you can see how that might push someone in that direction if they were going to be paid for more. So when you go to an ad advisory model and you're fee-based, it eliminates that. You get paid the same no matter what product you buy. You're not paying commissions or loads up front, so your annual fee is covering any, you know, so it takes that possible conflict off the table, and you're not constantly having to prove to regulators, to your clients, that you're investing in, in their best interest. It's, there's no conversation around it because it's the same cost. So that's the biggest thing, I think, is the cost. Yeah, and um, I would also add, as you switch over to an advisory model, um, you were really looking at you know the whole family more and more. Mm -hmm. this, this portfolio that a client would have is, is, is not just something that you're buying and selling. It, 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 it's, there was much more beyond that portfolio, and that's what we saw. And uh, our reasoning was, you know, our clients are paying us a fee for many different reasons. It's for advice, it's for service, it's you know for looking after their best interests. Right. So we just felt that this was a much better model, but also we wanted to take that and be independent with it because we didn't want any conflicts of interest. Wall Street is wonderful because it creates wealth, but it also, Wall Street, you know, is paid to get money out of your pocket, and you've, and we, you've got to be very careful, and that's why clients are paying us is, you know, to make sure that we're uh, selecting the correct securities and that there is not a conflict. Right. So when making that transition, um, you know, within your clients, uh, so I guess two-part question. One, when did that transition take place and how many years or how long did it take to get to that point? And then when you began, ha began having those conversations with clients, you know, what were the challenges like? Was it hard to describe or what was the feedback initially? Well, I would say that we started um, talking about this probably two, three, four years before. We, we before saw this what? before we made the move to independence. Because um, I, I, Lorraine and I would have conversations uh, about well, where is this business going? Where are we where are we taking this? We know that yeah. we need to be with bigger groups uh, because you know there was more knowledge, and we know we needed to hire more people. So there was a lot of sort of moving pieces around the table. I would say two to three years before, Ryan and I uh, talked about this quite a bit because um, we knew at some point we wanted to. Um, to be independent, but also to create a partnership again. You can't do that at a bank. Um, the other issue was we wanted to have our own website. We wanted to be able to market. And we wanted our name back um, and have our name around our firm. Yeah, and I think even going back to s switching from that transaction approach to a, an advisory fee-based approach started for us right after I got the CFP. So. 2007, 2008 was kind of the first move where we approached our clients and said, okay, the transaction world, that, you know, what we do for you goes beyond trading your portfolio. We are advising you on tax, insurance, estate planning, and now that's how we want to approach everything. We want our relationship to be about the holistic uh, approach to your financial life, and we think this is a more appropriate way for 
to charge, all of that. So those initial conversations, it, it was interesting. One of the first clients that switched from a transaction approach to a fee-based actually said to me, I've never felt that I paid you enough for what you did for me. Now that was, you don't hear that very often, but um, he knew that we were working beyond the scope of you know, buying this and selling that and that we were doing other things, dealing with family and all of that. And he was happy to make the switch. So, you know, when your first or second conversation around really revamping your business um, goes well and you hear that feedback, you get you gain some confidence about approaching it that way. And once we were in the throes of that, Grove and I would talk a lot about what, what the perfect setup would look like and, and how, you know, we were still part and had access to doing transaction business. And it muddied the waters of what we were doing in the advisory side. And it started to have all these layers. And a lot of it was compliance related, a lot of red tape, a lot of, well, because this is available to you, you have to do all this extra work. And Grove put it very succinctly, we're wearing the wrong clothes. We're, we're not in, you know, we're just not dressed for the job we're doing. We need a better way. And, you know, he, he took the plunge and built it, basically. Well, also, when we realized that um, as we started advising clients on a fee-based model, there were just so many more things that we could help them with. Yeah. And uh, we, a lot of times, uh, assume the bad cop role where we have to poke and prod and make sure um, that, you know, trusts are in place, wills, mm -hmm. um, and also ask, you know, sensitive questions. Yes. And, um, and this required, you know, really... Um, a larger team because they're, you know, when you get into families, you know, there are a lot of uh, different ways to attack problems. So um, we realized that uh, at, at the old Wall Street structures, it was really more about, you know, selling products and then just bringing in new assets. Yeah. And our feeling was, you know, we were onto the fifth generation of some of our clients. We had a very solid base. What we really needed to take them to the next level, where this transform for this um, transformation of money uh, was going to be coming, because um, there's just a tsunami of wealth, uh, and and we thought we've got to make sure that our clients are you know are better prepared, yeah. and we that's you know another reason. Well, and, and and frankly, we needed the best technology, and this was one of the aspects that's behind the curtain. The clients really couldn't see. But when we made uh, the jump over to HMA, we explained that we really needed e-money, better financial right. planning software, but also so our clients could go into our website, go onto the portal, and get their whole dashboard. Um, yeah. and, and that's because we were now driving the business through the financial planning lens. Right. And Chapin, it's interesting, back in the dark old days in the 90s, you know, the, the clients saw you as a broker. So that was your job. They may have had another person you know, their accountant, their attorney, uh, helping them with those other aspects. And and a lot of, you know, at the time, brokers didn't want to ask probing questions. They didn't feel it was their business to say, what other money do you have? How much are you saving in your retirement plan? What is your salary? It, it was not done. And when I got the CFP and <laughs> Richard used to find it, you know, kind of, weird that I would say, okay, so what's your annual income? How much are you saving? 
<laughs> you know, what other assets do you have? What's your plan for your estate? And he would be cringing at the idea that I would be so bold and brazen to ask those questions. And clients were happy to tell us because they were like, oh, yeah, how could how could she possibly build a good plan for me or make good investment choices if she doesn't know my whole picture. So it really changed those conversations too. And and now that's how we approach everything. We do have to be in your underwear drawer, whether you like it or not. We have to know everything. And it's it's a different model. And clients, once they learn that this is benefiting them, they're fine with it. And we have found that this really helps us with the next generation and the next generation. And so while we're helping clients, um, you know, with their succession planning, we had to address ours, ours also, because, uh, you know, clients would say to Philip, so Philip, what are you going to be doing? And Philip would say, well, I'm never, you know, leaving here. I'm, you know, I just love it. Well, I'm of the same ilk. I, I love this business, but I realized, you know, we needed younger, faster, smarter um, around us, not just for the next generation, but also for the current generation. They really appreciated that because their question is, okay, Grove, you're 65. You know, what are your plans? And my plans are, I'm not going anywhere because I've got this, you know, this great team and they're going to be taking care of you. So we recognized that, you know, even though we don't hear it sometimes directly from clients, they're concerned about that. Who's taking care of my wife and my children, and especially given that we're really, as Lorraine said, getting in the underwear drawer, you know, we know all this information. Well, it's sensitive. Well, the team knows it, and um, we feel that we've really built a, a great platform. Right. Um, and I think, you know, Grove and his team were, you know, one of the first ones to really have that built, right? Like, you had no problem bringing on youth way back when you had Ryan come on board. And Richard was like that with me. He he opened up his book and said, you know, you're gonna be taking this over. This is gonna be, these are gonna be your clients. I want them to know that I have a plan for them. It was very unusual though uh, to be so open, you know, and bring somebody on. And the risk at the time, the way a lot of older advisors saw it was, well, if I bring somebody on and, and introduce all my wonderful clients to them, what if they abscond with them you know I, I it was it was a very uh, closed approach to a book and and a lot of advisors of that ilk were, were literally like you'll pry this client list out of my cold dead hands like they were not going to open up their book and 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 make a plan and it was doing their clients a disservice because then when something did happen which I, I believe one of Richard's um, bosses, passed away unexpectedly. I mean, went home, had a massive heart attack. He was not planning. I mean, he was nowhere near retirement. And all of a sudden, these clients needed someone to take care of them. And, and thankfully, there was a plan in place. But it, that was pretty rare. And I think our clients recognize that we're planning for them. We're, we're planning not just today, but for 10 years, 20 years from now, when we're not going to be the ones leading the charge, but the next generation. So. Um, I think greed is a big reason that doesn't happen as much as it uh, should. Um, but I think you and I, Grove, were very happy to bring on youth and want, because we got that opportunity when we were younger. Well, um, no, absolutely. And I, the, the youth um, really just injects so much more fun into the business mm -hmm. because uh, technology is so important. 
And when you're aging out a little bit, it's hard to grasp, you know, the new technologies, and they need that, but, and, and the younger generation, you know, really wants that. And I would add, um, Lorraine and I saw uh, around Wall Street, uh, the big firms are doing a really poor job of backing up advisors, or, ba or advisors are doing a bad job of backing themselves up. Yeah. To Lorraine's point, what happens if somebody just dies or they leave the business? And, you know, this is, it, this is all very sensitive information. And, you know, you, you want to make sure, well, who is, you know, taking care of me? And that's why, you know, we, we looked at this larger team approach and found that it's really worked out, you know, so much better because the, the more, um, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, battles that we battle and we understand it, we can handle a lot of different problems yeah and, and, um, and we talk about those yeah you know is so important too I mean how you see things Chapin you know and Grove and I or or you know Kelly and Ryan and Jonathan like all different approaches different backgrounds uh, different ages and so what's important to our clients is coming from different lenses and we have to you know our view our world point and our view doesn't necessarily translate to every client so it's good to have these myriad of perspectives and ages, and I think it helps us be better at what we do. Because we really are solutions-based. Yeah. You know, it's not product-based. It's not transaction-oriented. This is also it's finding solutions to complex problems. Right. That is all great information. And I guess uh, with this follow-up, I'm going to kind of put both of you uh, on the spot a little bit. So if you were to pretend that, you know, I'm someone that you know doesn't have a financial advisor or maybe has um, a financial advisor in the older sense of the word a broker uh, you know what questions should I be asking uh, my investment manager or where should I be looking if I'm looking to find a new team what are the things that I should be focused on um, I would say what we well what we advise our clients to do somebody in that position is take a deep breath, take your time, understand what you have right now, and understand the different models that are out there and what's going to suit you the best. And um, we realize that we're not the first thing on everybody's mind, and our business is uh, you know, fairly arcane. So we advise everybody to ask a lot of questions, understand what is the difference between Merrill Lynch, Northern Trust, uh, and HMA. I mean, and so you, you get an understanding of the different models and what is best for you, but also get an understanding of what are you paying and what are you getting in return? That's what, and, and how are they, how are you going to be backed up, you know, at the firm that you're going with? Yeah. Um, over the years, this has come up a lot and it's usually with say like the, the early 20 year olds starting their first job and clients, children typically. And I always say at this stage in your life, you know, your biggest asset, your biggest savings ability is going to be your 401k, right? So that's usually where you're starting out. There are so many great online tools to help you build a savings plan. Um, you can go on any uh, low cost provider Build a per answer five or six questions about who you are, your age, your risk tolerance, your understanding of the market, and they will build you a perfectly acceptable indexed portfolio. You can set it to rebalance twice a year. You'll be fine. 
don't pay for something you don't need, right? So that's, I always say, investing is a commodity. That is, we do it, we're good at it, but it is not the most of what we bring to the table. When your life gets a little more complicated, so you leave your first job and now you have some money in a, in a rollover, for example, or you get an inheritance or, you know, something like that happens. Typically, the kind of cutoff point we see is if someone has about 500000 they start to feel like they don't want to manage it anymore. They feel, I'll make a mistake and it's going to be a big problem if I do. Now that's where you come to people like us and you say, I need a more complicated approach. I need help with decisions about taxes. I need help with decisions about how to save. Maybe I'm charitably minded or whatever. But don't pay for anything that you don't need. You're paying us for advice at that point. It's still, the investment side of it is we feel commoditized to some extent. Like You can do that very, very cheaply if you don't need all the extra bells and whistles. You'll know yourself when you need more help because it, you will feel overwhelmed. It's bigger numbers, something complicated happened, and you know so on. So for young people, my, my thing is do your research online, do it cheaply until the numbers get to the point where you're not comfortable doing it yourself. And how to pick an advisor, that's like picking a friend. You have to feel like you're with someone that understands you, connects with you, you know, the fancy bells and whistles and the sharpshooters and the talk and all of that, people can bring in the graphs and the charts. You are going to have to be able to pick up the phone and call your advisor and tell them you lost your job or, you know, your, your mother passed away and now you, you're grieving, but you have to deal with money. You want a friend on the other end of the phone that you really trust and that you can tell almost anything to. You're going to know that that's a very personal decision. And I can't tell you how to do that. You have to know how you pick your friends, what gives you the icks, all of that. But that's how you pick an advisor, because we are going to know everything. And uh, so I guess I had asked this a little earlier, but, you know, as far as the uh, relationship that you have with your clients, I know the word partnership gets thrown around a lot. Um, it can sound a little uh, cliche-y, but, um, you know, I guess maybe touch on a little bit of how the relationship has evolved from, you know, maybe what it was 10, 15 years ago prior to advisory versus uh, to now. Yeah, um, I would say we were brokers, right? So at the very beginning, uh, we served, uh, we were very utilitarian. You know, they, they called up, placed trades, we facilitated that. Um, we had nice, pleasant conversations. We had friendships. You know, the, we had a relationship, certainly. Some clients more than others, and the more people you talk to, and the more often you talk to them, you would, you know, build a relationship. When planning became a bigger part of it, however, people went from being clients to family members because you're so embedded in all aspects of their life. They start to share with you their relationships with their children, uh, you know, the in-laws and the outlaws, the the people that, uh, their, their money story, you know, how they evolved into good savers because you know, they didn't have money growing up or they spend maybe a little too much because they didn't have parents who were fiscally responsible or, you know, so they, you start to learn about them in such a way that you're all, you become a therapist, quite frankly. And I actually had a client just say that to me 
the other day, she's like, you're part advisor, part therapist, because I need to unload on you about this money situation. <laughs> and um, my years of bartending were a good uh, learning, a good training ground for that. But it, our relationships with our clients now are so personal. Um, Grove and I both travel to see clients, and we stay with our clients when we're on the road, which I know some people find so strange. Um, but I have clients who will say, your room is ready. Uh, you know, or they've moved house and they're like, we have a room for you um, to come visit. They're offended if you say you're going to get a hotel. Um, so the relationship has become incredibly personal. They want you to meet their everyone in their family and their friends. And uh, I, 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 our clients are... I don't look at it. It's like not a job because I just I'm spending time with people I really like. So do you get uh, a lot of, you know, kind of panicked phone calls when the market is down three to five percent in a given day or a week or whatever? Or how, how does that work? No, out? no. If you've done your job correctly, um, clients realize that we're watching it. And if we've profiled them, we understand their risk um, and we make make sure that, you know, matches up uh, with their investments. No, uh, we rarely get calls at all. The only ones will be sometimes calls of sympathy saying, God, we're sorry you're having to go through this. And right. it's like, don't worry about it. As we tell clients, look, um, if I told you that your value of your house is down $50,000 because the guy next door sold, you, you'd most likely say, well, I don't care. I'm not selling my house. Right. And so... We, we really try and train our clients to, you know, look at the horizon, understand where the horizon is. And so they don't have to worry about that. That's what they're paying Lorraine and I and HMA for. Yeah. And one of the great things about software, you know, that we use like eMoney and is we can model to clients what ifs, right? We can say, you know, we can stress test and, and clients can say, well, what if we had another 07 what would my my portfolio look like we can show them the order of returns through like the monte carlo simulation on e-money we can say if you retired and we had two bad years in the market you're still on your you're still on your you know you're still getting an a grade in in your plan you, yeah you'll feel it won't feel good but you can't afford it and um, the market doesn't move a steady seven percent a year you know, it's mm -hmm. good years and bad. And we tell them, you're going to go through ups and downs, but we've planned for that. We've planned for inflation. Look at what our assumptions are. So the software can answer a lot of those questions when people really want to dig in. You can, don't take my word for it, look at the numbers, you know. So how often are you having uh, these types of conversations with clients? Is it, you know, once a month, uh, once every few months, twice a year? So full... Our team, full financial review, so a full e-money update um, is probably annually. That's plenty for that kind of thing, to sit down, review the outside assets, um, update all the information on savings, salary, goals, all of that. That's annual, sometimes semi-annual, depending on how complicated someone's situation is. Um, in terms of the portfolio being rebalanced and so forth, that, again, kind of as needed... So there's years where it's a couple of times a year that we'd go through a full rebalance and tweak. But then there's markets where we're making changes more often just because they're fluid. Like with bonds right now, for example, 
it's a, it's an attractive time to look at yield. It's an attractive time to add in, you know, some bonds into portfolios. So we're probably doing a little more additions in in that part of of the world today. But you might go through a few months where it's like we're okay. We're we're not doing a whole lot of changes right now. So. And I might add that the most difficult part is on the front end, especially with a new client. Um, so what would that look like? Well, you, you, we've got to be very, very careful because uh, with a new client, we we have to understand their peccadillos about uh, finances, who their who was their previous advisor, what does that portfolio look like, um, what is the long-term plan for this client, and we emphasize to them that it's going to be a lot of conversations. So we understand you as best we can. Then we'll put together, you know, a plan, uh, submit it to the client, and then go back and forth and file it down. Because if we make a mistake in that first year, you know, we can lose trust, and that's the most important thing. Yeah. Um, that we have with our clients is trust. So we really take it slowly, and you know, we may talk once a month. You know, just going through how everything is moving. On the onset. Onboarding, yeah. Yeah. So they're used to, you know, looking at their statements, understanding when they're, where the fees come out, um, understanding the financial planning, how that how that all works, and also the individual investments, and they, and they see that. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the onboarding part of it, getting to know somebody, building trust, really understanding what drives them, that's, that's a deeper dive at the beginning, and you have to really... Uh, set expectations, I think, is really important, too. You know, letting them know this is how we do things. Uh, say if you brought in a lot of cash, for example, we always kind of set the expectation. This is not all getting put in the market in a matter of two weeks. You know, we're going to be patient. We're going to pick our days and our times, and we're going to work with you on a comfort level of getting this. We'll set goals for when we want it all invested and how, but we're going to take our time and keep you informed. That's a good way to kind of get a feel for how they're going to react, you know, and how much they're paying attention. You know, if the market was down, for example, and you want to buy, if that new client calls you first and is like, did you see what's happening today? What are you doing? You'll know that now you've got somebody that really wants to be in the loop, is excited, you know, and then there are people like you do whatever. uh, That's your job. You know, so you get to a good feel for what kind of client they're going to be. But setting the expectations about communication is important, and your client will kind of guide you on what's important to them, and and you build your like you build your friendship. You know, and I, I would add two other things on the onboarding. You know, we we're very sensitive to taxes, so if we're bringing over an existing portfolio, you know, we take a look at, you know, what the gains and losses. You know, are mm-hmm. but also uh, we ask our clients. We like to see what their other assets are outside of us, yep. because we don't want to be redundant um, in our investments. But also, we like to be able to see how this whole pie is working together, and that's what clients are paying us for, not just managing their assets, but managing their portfolio at HMA in conjunction with other you know outside. Uh, assets or advisors. Right, yeah, and where the risks are. And I think that's really important if they're, you know, working for a publicly traded company and have a lot of, say, stock options, for example, we're not going to double up on that situation and buy that same company as part of the portfolio when we know they're already concentrated, they work there, their salary comes from there. You know, that's a 
they have an exposure and they have a risk. So, you know, we're oh. No, 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 that's that's all great. And I guess, um, you know, kind of a lead in to uh, a potential uh, next topic, and this will be my last question on the uh, first episode and overall uh, succession planning-based uh, episode. Um, is it on a case-by-case basis, or is it something that happens with most of your clients? So, you know, how uh, or when do you involve the next generation and do you advise uh clients on you know conversations to have with their with their children or is that you know kind of just depend on the family basically or you you can talk from your own experiences grove you can put me on yeah i would say case by case actually because um I love to have adult children in the room when the matriarch or patriarch is aging. And we will notice a diminished capacity probably first in a lot of cases with with clients because they'll call and maybe call it the next day and forget they talk to us. You know, that so we tend to pick up on some of those needs right away and we'll encourage them to bring their adult children in to sit with us. Often we've already we already probably have a relationship because you know, there's gifting or there's there's some form of financial transfer that we've been involved in. We, d- we definitely have clients who are keep their financial lives very close to their chests. They have to be very they have to be ready to, in, you know, involve. But we encourage it. Um, so they have help. Um, and I think a lot of our clients, I mean, they referred their children. We end up with adult children a lot of the time as clients as well once they establish themselves and have have money but yes we i love to have the adult children in the room more eyes on what we're doing uh comfort level the last thing you need is mom or dad to pass away and the adult children to come in and be furious about how the portfolio looks or some decisions that were made that might have gone against what they would have preferred and you have nobody you have no recourse then. You know, the person that was working with you is now gone and you have to justify your, you know, decisions. For example, there's a lot of older clients that we have who have beautiful, aggressive portfolios. They have a lot of equity and they have a lot of dividend-paying U.S. companies. You know, technically, if you looked at a portfolio of a 80-year-old and they're 80% stock, you know, uh, an objective observer might think, well, that's way too much risk. But we would have built that with that client, knowing what their comfort level was and what they could afford to, you know, and what they wanted. So that's why I like to have the kids in the room. So they hear those conversations and document, document, document. You know, it's funny, Lorraine, you bring that up because we have a number of great uh, clients who are great investors. And they some didn't even believe in bonds. They, yeah. they, just, they bought companies and they held on to them. They did really well. And when the kids step in uh, to that situation, they, they questioned us. And we said, no, your mom and dad, they felt very comfortable with it. But once the children saw that and they thought, oh, okay, you know, now we understand it. I would say, uh, Chapin, one of the most difficult things for the next generation uh, is we as advisors uh, want to remove the horn from our head because I don't think we've got a, a, you know, Wall Street has a great reputation. And so that's why we really want the kids to come in and see what we do, you know, on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, you know, for the family. Um, 
education is is huge. We it, the, the better educated the families, the easier it is to make the transition of this money, and that's one of our goals. Because you know we tell our families, look, we'll be the bad cop, um, but you know you worked hard. Um, Mr. and Mrs. to get here, and you want this to go down, but you've got to have the kids involved, you know, with this Absolutely. and knowing because the worst thing that can happen is they just get hit with a bag of money and they don't know what to do. And I think they also need to know, you know, where this money came from and respect it because then that makes them responsible, you know, stewards um, for the next generation, for their children, and also it eliminates. Uh, the conflict and the fights, because we always tell the families, you don't want any fights or conflicts. And if that's the case, you know, you need clarity. Right, really right. Do. And I think this is where the gray hair that Grove and I have uh, helps. <laughs> and because no hair. Uh, we, we have seen how things cannot, you know, unfold when it's when it's not done right or things aren't discussed or there are conflicts within a family. It would shock you to hear how families can crumble over relatively small amounts of money when they feel decisions weren't fair or, or you know some something like that happened so I always tend to go into these things with the worst case scenario in my head of like well what would happen if and because we've seen what happens if you know and it and it comes down to having assets registered properly having beneficiaries named appropriately updating things when somebody passes away or gets divorced or and so on so we're the person in the background reminding you unfortunately that these awful things can happen um it's quite a grim job at times but we've seen it all we we know if this isn't done right here's what could happen and you often have clients push back on that and say well not my family you know, my kids would never do that. They, you know, they all get along. And I will remind them that they might. Uh, but what if one of them got married to somebody who now wanted to have some say in it? And that's often the issue. You know, so we'll bring up those unpleasant things that nobody wants to think about. But, um, yeah, I, I think the next generation being informed and educated, not just of what's there now, but what could happen if it's not done right, is really important. And, you know, we're sort of like a, a football team firing off the line every time we'll, we'll have a meeting with a family and that everybody's got their roles and responsibilities and they've got to be acting um, in unison. And so we'll, we'll, we'll reiterate with the families, okay, this is what we're hearing. It's going to, this is how the assets are going to move. This is what Tommy and Billy are going to be doing, you know, type of thing. Because then all of a sudden somebody say, well, no, let's rethink that. Well, that's good. So that's why we're always, you know, again, firing off the line, making sure everything is, is, is going to, you know, uh, run smoothly. And, you know, we've seen from experience, this is the best, you know, thing to do. It's not terribly comfortable sometimes for families initially, but over time, uh, they, they realize yeah. it's better to have a little bit of discomfort up front rather than, you know, really a manure storm. Yes. On. It's not always going to be good news, right? So we have to figure out how to deliver those uncomfortable conversations in a way that's, but with solutions, right? You know, uh -huh. that's the thing. We, we're not going to tell you the bad news and be like, good luck with that. You know, we're, we're going to have a solution. Here's how we can work around that. Here's how we can alleviate that risk. You know, here's what in our experience works in these situations. Um, and I think people appreciate that we're not just throwing them to yeah. the wolves. Like here, this is kind of your, your trust doesn't look good. Good luck with that. You know, that's not 
how we work. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you guys so much. Uh, that will put a bow on uh, the first episode here. And uh, I look forward to doing it again soon. Well, thank you. Thank you, Chapin. Hummer Mauer Associates is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hummer-Mauer Associates and Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates, make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Hummer-Mauer Associates and Hightower Advisors, LLC, assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to, to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower LLC or any of its affiliates.